In this three-part podcast series, Patricia Pichaki of the Institute for Excellence in Memory Care joins the conversation about caregivers and individuals living with dementia. In this series, we will address the stigma around dementia, as well as available resources for caregivers, benefits of the Dementia Village in Indiana, and more. This is part two of the three-part series. Have you had any feedback from some of the caregivers about how this has helped them sustain their loved ones from from having to be in long-term care? Absolutely. Yes, we've had quite a few caregivers who have really not only utilized uh, the adult day program because they the need of respite, but the services that we have provided, the support groups, we have different exercise programs. Many caregivers feel like they are locked at home and they can't exercise. So we have yoga classes. I do chair one fitness classes. And uh, just recently, I had a caregiver tell me that this is a refuge for her. While she knows that her husband is being cared for either at home or at the adult day program, just being able to be around other people and doing normal things and not always having that focus. I'm a caregiver every moment. I'm just Sally. I'm just Jane here doing yoga I'm just a human, again, instead of always having that title of caregiver. So yes, for the caregiver, it has given them freedom. It has given them reduced stress. And for the individual living with dementia, caregivers have said that, you know, my loved one is happier after they come in and join us for our Living Life Well program. My loved one is enjoying music again. Just yesterday. Joe Collins, who is the program director of Alzheimer's Dementia Services, brought his guitar in. And it just happened that the individual who came to visit brought his guitar in. So now they're they're practicing uh, music together. And again, just knowing that this is a place where dementia is okay. And that if you play the same music over and over again or the same note, it's okay. It's still music. We're not going to frown upon you because you have dementia. And so, yes, caregivers have said my loved one is, feels better about themselves. They're not ashamed of having dementia and, and having that stigma of yeah. I've got dementia, so I have to look differently. I have to be different. Here, they are just another village person. You're another community member who walks through the doors. That's great. It's such a hard decision. You know, you're overwhelmed and you're so tired and it's a lot to have to deal with, not only for the person suffering with dementia, but also um, the caregivers. How can I sustain them at home? How can I keep up this pace? When do I look into long-term care? So, and, you know, I'm an advocate absolutely for long-term care, and but I'm also realistic. I want to stay home and I want my loved ones to stay home as much as possible. Have you heard folks saying I was on that edge and this program helped me to to be able to make the decision or be able to stay at home longer? Yes. I can also mm-hmm. say that because we are part of real services, many people have no idea what an area agency on aging can really provide and all mm-hmm. the different resources that are available. So when caregivers come in and they're on the edge, we have the ability to say, hey, have you spoken to the Aging and Disability Resource Center? Did you Mm -hmm. know 
that they have the ability and if they they have some magic, I, I always call them the, the magical uh, department because they have resources available that family members may never have known about. Many times family members are, are might say, well, I can't have Meals on Wheels because I don't meet the criteria. Yes, you do meet the criteria. Oh, I, I can't. It's so it's so hard for me to have people come into my home. I, I don't have the you have the ability. Let's let's talk about the resources that are available in your community. And so to be able to help family members identify the needs that they need, that they have to say it's OK, we, we let's let's chat. Many family caregivers can actually say, I can keep my loved one at home a little bit longer. I never knew that. And I never realized that there are more resources for VA. I never realized that I have opportunities out there in our community. And so to be able to not only help our family members identify ways to keep their loved ones at home, but also when the time comes, they have another sounding board going, you know, it's time for you to maybe consider, and it's not you, you're, you're a superstar caregiver, but let's face it, the needs outweigh your abilities. Your home no longer can meet your loved one's needs, and we want to keep them safe. We want them to have quality of life, and it's not you you just need more assistance. You need now more support. And that's where the professionals come into play. So even having a sounding board, not only with Alzheimer's Dementia Services and you know Milton Adult Day Program, if they are part of that program, but also having real services and having other community support to be able to say, it's okay. You are an amazing caregiver. Let's look at other resources to help support you. So I, I think that's another part that caregivers have yeah. that yes you can stay home but when the time comes it's okay let's help you i love to hear that because you know they want to keep them at home but there's ability and sometimes guilt we're not sure where we can divide guilt with actual being real you know and making sure that we're providing all those needs i love to hear that you're offering support to the caregiver and saying thank you and we're here for you and and let's help um you make the decision throughout this process. Very well, important. many of our caregivers here at Alzheimer's Dementia Services, we have been caregivers for mm -hmm. our loved ones, for family members. So we've been there. We've done it. We've got the t-shirts, right? Yes. And so we we know, and many of us have worked in long-term care. And many of us have worked in assisted living and memory support. So we're never going to say no to long-term care or assisted living. We actually support it. Mm -hmm. But we also support those family caregivers where we know mm -hmm. their loved ones would do better at home. Absolutely. They don't need they don't need a locked door. <laughs> Actually, a locked door would probably not be the thing for them. So mm -hmm. yes, that's the way we we love working with we have a great team where we can see both sides of the fence. Yeah, deinstitutionalizing and keeping them in their home longer has definitely more benefit. We know that there's so much research out there. On person-centered care, that's that's certainly something that we constantly encourage, and it sounds so very simple to do. You know, you will learn that individual, and you'll put their best needs and interests at at the forefront. But it's also one of the hardest things to do too, especially in a group setting. 
or having that mesh well with home life. I was really interested in how you put together person-centered care toolkits. Sure. What we usually do is, number one, we have to educate a family member. What exactly is person-centered care? Mm-hmm. Because still, that's a healthcare terminology because mm-hmm. we do it every day when we're at home. We don't think about of a term of person-centered because that's just what mom does. That's dad's thing. First, educating family members about what exactly is person-centered care. And the next part I would say is introducing them to a life history. That's actually something that we encourage our caregivers when they come to be able, and we can assist them in the identification and and how to write out a life history. So we have a, a pretty profound, a pretty large life history that we actually work with. And so we help family caregivers write out a life history about their loved one and include the individual. So the individual has some say in their life history. Tell me a little bit more about your childhood, about the things you like and the things you don't like, what's important to you, what's not important to you. And then from there, once they have an identification of their life history, that's where we can start focusing on things that they enjoy doing every day. Many times family members and professionals, sometimes we just do programs because it just seems the right thing to do. Say, for example, last Friday, I'm, I'm in Indiana. I'm a Hoosier. I live here in South Bend, but there was a big football game here in town. So everybody thought everybody has to do something Notre Dame. I'm not a Notre Dame fan, even though I worked at Notre Dame for years. So it may not be my person-centered. And it may not have been person-centered for people who are celebrating some tailgating of Notre Dame. So what we need to start focusing on is the things that this individual likes to do. So let's really focus on really what does mom like to do, not what I like to do or what seems right to do now, but what does mom really enjoy doing? What does my loved one enjoy doing right now? Maybe they used to do needlepoint in the past, but now needlepoint's getting a little challenging how do I adapt that? Or maybe needlepoint's not the thing to do anymore. Maybe she rather do uh, looking at needlepoints or looking at other things that enjoy that she still enjoys, but still has a little complimentary. So as far as those activity kits are concerned, usually for us, you know, I don't know everybody. I don't know the hundreds of people that come into our building. So we just came up with different themes that would fit many people. So that's why our kids are very basic and have those concepts. But if a family member wants to get together and they do their own activity kit, what I would always say is look back at that life history. Let's talk to your loved one. What do they enjoy doing? Maybe it's a baseball kit. They, they love their Cubs. And so the Cubs are, are the topic. So let's look back and let's talk to our other family members. Let's talk to his brother and his sister and some old photographs. And let's come up with a kit that now I have available on a Saturday afternoon when it's rainy outside that we all as a family have put together just for dad in regards to the Cubs game. And During the holidays, instead of us just watching a bunch of movies, let's create another kit for dad that's based upon golf because he loves golf in the spring. So let's all get together and do something special just for dad in regards to this kit. So it can be a wonderful family-oriented, person-centered kit that everybody knows something special about my loved one. 
as far as for family members coming up with those kits and coming up with different programs, the main thing is understanding person-centric, creating that life history. So we remind ourselves, what does my loved one love to do in the past, the present, and possibly in the future? How can we adapt it so they can still enjoy it and still bring back some of those wonderful memories and functional skills that they can mm -hmm. still maintain? But there's a lot of times when you do that history or getting to know that person that there's even some aha moments with their their caregivers or loved ones like I never knew that she wanted to do that I didn't know that she disliked that I she always did it but you know maybe she was your mother and that's what she knew you liked to do so she just participated absolutely and and the wonderful part about this and sometimes I, I just wish I can always tell my professionals one life history isn't enough I always tell professionals ask other family members to fill out life histories because if it's just the husband who's filling out a life history of his wife, he only knows his wife for a certain amount of time. And yet, if it's a child, she only or he only knows a certain part of their life. But if you have multiple people, siblings, other families, friends who might have been childhood friends, they can go back into time and know stories and know different things about this individual that maybe a spouse, maybe a child would not know. So, and it's also a reflective, not only of knowing different stories, but it's a reflective of that person because we all want to leave a legacy. And so life history can actually be a start of wonderful conversations, a family book of memories, whatever it might be. So we get to appreciate this person. And again, look at this person and not the disease, right? So that's why life histories are really important to be able to have multiple people look at this individual, help and, and, and really discover not only stories, but different things that we might need as a disease continues on so that we have those stories available. That sounds like it would bring a lot of comfort to the family. I like how you put really you're gathering a history, but you're you're putting together their legacy too. That Absolutely. would be something that 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 their loved ones and caregivers would probably cherish for many years to come past this. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's something I always tell families around the holidays. This is, you know, we're 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 in September right now, but imagine in a few more weeks we're gonna be hearing holiday music. And so family members, especially those who are living with dementia, you know, what do I do with my loved one? How am I going to have the family over? What better time than to everybody sit down and, and just have a wonderful time reviewing life stories and coming up with a, a, a beautiful book for mom and dad and the reflections. So they have not only an activity down the road, but also a memory book or a memory of stories. And the family members can even have their own. So Again, it's a thing they can pass down for over and over. And again, they're looking at the person and not always focusing on the disease. Which includes, you know, that cultural individual as well and incorporating routines, cultural habits that they might have done as a child. And then, you know, as an adult with dementia, they, re they may regress back to a certain language or a certain behavior. I know um, working in the nursing home, we had we had several folks of different cultures that the family really had to really come up with some creative strategies because they were acting out, but their actions were matching what they did as a child in that particular culture growing up with parents that were 
they were grandparents, but they were parents and they had a different lifestyle. So it was very interesting to see the children come forward and put together this care plan for their mom based on the way mom was raised in a different culture where the kids are now being raised in the United States, but mom was raised in, in a different country. So yeah, you're right. Bringing that together in that personal care plan is, is critical. QSource would like to thank you for listening to this podcast. Stay tuned for part three of this three-part series. If you would like to learn more, please visit us at qao.qsource.org. Visit our website for additional podcasts, videos, documents, and more. In addition to listening to QSource podcasts on our website, you can also find us on most media platforms, such as Apple, Google, Spotify, Podbean, and others.